the, in the long tradition of Megash Rachel, um, I will give you sources for this class. Um, Actually, I must confess that I, I've never given this class before. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of giving classes too many times. So, um, I, I don't remember, I don't remember if it was Becca or Emma, that I give you guys, I gave you an option. Yeah. So I give you an option? Yeah. And you pick this one. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't give you the option, it was a third option that I didn't give you because <laughs> I gave that class too many times. <laughs> so that's why I didn't give it to you. Um, <clears throat> I'll tell you why I think this class is a, an important class. I mean, it's obviously going to bring us towards uh, Shavuot. Um, but it's an important class because I think um, that the world, the observant world, has a, has a different view of what I'm about to talk about tonight. Um, and I just want to, I want to put in our consciousness that there's, they're, they're missing something. Now, I, that doesn't mean the whole observant world, but within the observant world, it's pretty well, um, there's an idea that's pretty well accepted, which we'll talk about tonight, and it's really, uh, it's actually a mistake. Uh, the particular idea, and that's why I, I would like to um, uh, give you this share. Are we sure? So, is there one more sheik? Oh, sure. There's, there's not more. There's tons more. Anyone else need a sheik? Anybody has? Okay, great. So, um... The question, of course, is... Um, we do count days and weeks towards um, towards Shavuos. That's exactly what the name of the holiday is, right? Shavuot. I mean, that that's at least one name that appears in the Torah. Chag Shavuot, right? It appears in the Torah. Uh, it has other names as well. The only name that doesn't seem to appear is Chag Matan Torah. Um, but um, uh, but later on, it was put in, you know, in. in davening and stuff, but according to the Torah, one of the names is Shavuot, and of course um, the obvious question is um, obviously if, if they're using that word Shavuot to describe the holiday of Matan Torah, giving of the Torah it must be very intrinsically connected the idea of weeks the idea of Shavuot I'm not going to say anything that's going to be like very Kabbalistic. I don't want to disappoint anybody. But that's um, even now when we count days, we also count weeks, right? You know, when we get to the first week, we count weeks. And so the fact that it says in the Torah, Shavuot, is 
because we're actually counting towards Matan Torah. In the Torah, we're counting weeks. We count days as well. Um, by the way, there are some that say that if you know if, if you forget to make a, if you get to count one day, if you get to count one day, so you can't make a bracha after that because there's different opinions about whether you could continue counting. But even according to opinions, you say you can't continue counting, but you could still count weeks with a bracha because it seems to be like two separate ideas, meaning you, you can't, let's say, you know, you couldn't count like day 10 with a bracha, but when you got to day 14, you could count it because you're counting shtei shavuot, right? It's counted separately. There are posts like that, and there, if I'm not mistaken, the Soloveitchiks, the Boston now, I have to, <laughs> have to, you know, be, um, what do they call it, humbled, right? Uh, that I think they hold that you can actually say the bracha, that's where they paschal halacha. Now, um, What's the reason why we really count? Okay? So there's, there's simple pshatim why we count, but I'm going to work with a certain medrash. That I actually don't know where this medrash is, but it is quoted by Rishonim. And I'm going to quote the Rajba, who was a Talmud of the Ramban, Rav Shlom ben Aderis, quotes an earlier source, someone who lived about 100 years before him, who quotes a midrash, okay, about why you count, you know, what, what's the point of counting, right? So, um, what he's going to say might seem obvious, but we're going to take a look, a closer look at it. Uh, and that's the first source. V'kosav Arab Bala Itur, the, the fellow who, who wrote the Sefer Bala Itur, which is a halachic work in the Middle Ages. The Bahagada Amru, in the Haggadah means in the, in the, in the Medrash, they say, right? When um, Moshe said to them, you're going to serve God on this mountain. They asked him, okay, so when are, when are we going to be serving God? They came out of Egypt, right? One thing you have to know that if, if you let a slave, you put a slave into freedom, you're, not, you're only doing them a favor if you give them something instead. In other words, when you know, we know like the prison system, let's say in the United States, right? And it's not only the United States, every Western country. You know, a lot of those people go get out of prison, especially the hardened criminals, go back to prison. Like I think it's now 80% that go back to prison. So you, sometimes you're not doing them so much of a favor by letting them out, even though you have to let them out because they have a certain amount of time that they serve and then you let them out. And he may even be excited to get out, but. A lot of those fellows, I mean, historically, will come back to the prison and say, look, you know, could you let me back in, right? They don't exactly know how to live in the world, in the free world. So it's not so easy to take a slave and free a slave and just say, go, I think, you know, uh, with African-Americans, it was a problem. In other words, you were not, they were not given anything instead. You know, they weren't given a, you know, something meaningful, Okay. So obviously, the, the Jews who left Egypt, right, um, they were going to be given something meaningful because you can't just take, tell, tell these people, now you're free. I'm free to do what? Right? So I need something meaningful in my life to substitute myself being a, a slave, right? Now, not that slavery is meaningful, but it, it, it's, it's a way of your life. It was a way of life. It's not a life I suggest 
to people, but it's a, it's a way of your life. So they asked Moshe Rabbeinu, we got out of Egypt, right? And they asked him a good question according to the Medrash. A Mosai Avodazu, what you said we're gonna serve God on this mountain, meaning we're gonna get the Torah Moshe meant, obviously, right? I mean they brought Karbanot as well, but he's talking about the Torah. So he says, Moshe, when are we gonna be doing this? Amolahem Lasov Khamishim Yom. After fifty days. Vahoyu Monim Kolachad Vachad Latzmo. And every person counted for himself. They were very excited about it, obviously. And therefore they, you know, because don't forget, for us, we could take Torah for granted, but Moshe Rabbeinu was telling them that this is something that God himself sort of is the, is the author that we're going to finally be getting after a few thousand years in, in the world, you know. You can imagine that people would be pretty curious about that. You know, you have writers that write books that people are very curious about, you know, if some particular person writes a book and you say, wow, I'm very curious to read that book because I know that person is a very interesting individual. Now we're talking about God, right? So I'm sure that they were very excited to count, you know, one day, two days, three days, right? So, Mikan Kovu Chachamim That's why today you have Sviras Omer even though you don't have sacrifices anymore because the time of sacrifices you had your your barley offering, and then you had your wheat offering, and you counted from one to the other. And in the, uh, there are many commentaries that link the counting towards the different uh, to harvest times. But once you don't have that, so why we continue counting? The answer is because we're counting towards Matan Torah, right? And that's this medrash is the one that sort of brings that out. We may know that as like sort of like a given or you know, naturally, because we've heard it so many times. But this is really the Medrash that says, you, you know, counting towards, towards Matan Torah. So, of course, the obvious question is, right, wait a minute, we are, we were slaves, just give us the Torah now, so we'll get something meaningful in our lives. Why are we going to wait 50 days? What is the point of waiting 50 days for it? We, it's like, you know, you want to get us excited about it? Like, is that the reason why? Like, Give it to us, you know. During those fifty days, what are these former slaves going to be doing, right? So this question, many people ask this question. My grandfather gave an introduction once to Pirkei Avot. Someone wrote it over, but he gave it orally. I remember him giving it orally, um, and he starts off: Minag Yafenish Tarish Eitzel Kalisho Vuhulul Mod Avot B'Shavuol Shebein Pesach Latzeres. As you know. The original minhag of learning Pirkei Avos was for six weeks. We decided it was such a good idea that we decided to do it throughout the summer, right? And people come up with reasons and stuff, but originally it was six weeks. In fact, Pirkei Avot is five chapters, and we added a chapter that's not a Mishnah, it's a Brita, because we wanted to get it six weeks right before a Shavuot. You count the six weeks, and the seventh week, you have Shavuot. So he says it's a beautiful minhag, uh, the, the foundation of this idea, why do we do Pirkei Avot at this time? Dora Midbar, the Dora Midbar was preparing themselves at this time, the generation of the, of the, of the Midbar, the Jews who came out of Egypt. So 
So my grandfather paraphrases the Medrash that they came to Moshe Rabbeinu and they said, look, you told us about this Torah. What, where is it? Right? Moshe Rabbeinu told them when, uh, well, God said to Moshe, when you take these Jews out of Egypt, the important thing is not going out of Egypt. The whole point of going out of Egypt is to receive the Torah, like we said, because leaving a person, you know, slaveless doesn't mean they're free. It just means that they're slaveless. Free means someone who has something meaningful in their lives. So where's the mountain and where's the Torah? Moshabenu told them, and this is sort of Rabbi Yaakov putting into the Medrash, it's trying to explain the Medrash. Like Moshe says, count 50 days. Like, why should I count 50 days? Give it to me now. Right? Um, so Rabbi Yaakov puts in is that you think that you could just get the Torah, you know, as soon as you leave Egypt, you're, 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 you're slaves, you have a slave mentality, right? So you can't get the Torah right away. You have to, he says, you have to change yourself. Can you change Ben Rega in a in a moment? Leos Amnifchai. You think you could be a chosen nation and a kingdom of Kohanim? Kodem called Shrich Matella Kama Shavuot. You need a number of weeks Hachana to prepare. Shabbosmanazet Tavdu Al Tchunat Hanefesh V'Torah Midah Shalchem. First, work on becoming a you know a more spiritual person and purifying your Midot. Okay. And then I can give you the Torah. Now here's where the strange thing comes in. God tells, according to my grandfather, Moshe tells the Jewish people, you can't get, you can't get the Torah right away. You have to work on your Midot first. Now, if, if I was a 20th century person, or maybe a 21st century, I would say, what are you talking about? The Torah is going to tell me how to work on my Midot. <laughs> so I don't have to work on my Midot. I have to get the Torah, and the Torah is going to make me a, a Baal Midot. Right? According to Rabbi Yaakov, that's not what the Medrash is saying. The, and, and it's clear that the Medrash is saying you have to count towards it. We just, the Medrash doesn't tell you what. So Rabbi Yaakov just supplies what he thinks you're counting towards becoming a better person so you'll be capable of accepting the Torah, which is a very strange thing because, you know, one obviously can raise the question is, the Torah is there to make me a good person. So what do you mean count so I'll be a good person so I can accept the Torah? Well, if I become a good person, let's take the other side. Who the heck needs the Torah? <laughs> right? So the altar of Slabotka, Nelson Svi Finkel, raises a very, very interesting issue, um, which he's really quoting the Shari Kedusha, the Chaim Vital here. Um, he, he elaborates more, but he, he's really quoting. I, I assume that he knew it, but he doesn't quote by name. Now, the, everything written by the Altar of Slabotka was written by other students. So he didn't write anything. So what we have over here is things that he spoke about. But so the student may have not known that it's, for, you know, that it's Chaim Vital who says it, but it doesn't really matter. He says like this, number three. You don't find uh, commands about be, you know, it never says in the Torah, thou shalt be a mensch. Right? It'll tell you about certain things. You're not allowed to hate a person in your heart. You're not allowed to be jealous. You're not allowed to 
Um, you're not allowed to uh, bear grudge, take revenge, right? The specific things, which, of course, in order not to do those things, not to hate a person in your heart, you have to have good midot, right? Because a person has a tendency when they're angry at someone, if they don't want to be angry above board, they're angry in their heart, or to have, if a person doesn't have good midot, he wants to take revenge on, you know, a person or bear grudge on the person. So, Midot is certainly going to work because Midot, midot um, run very deeply in the person. The Rambam says that it's harder to change Midot than actually, you know, n- not commit sins. He says that, you know, it's, it's, he says a person who has anger, a person who is jealous, he says it's harder to change that than actually some of the, myths, some of the prohibitions in the Torah because they're ingrained. Right, so according to um, according to the Pashup Shat, what the Alter Yerushalmi is asking is like, you know, why doesn't the Torah command you Amido since that's such an important idea? Which of course, since the Torah doesn't do that, there are a lot of people that say Midos are not that important. Let's just get to the mitzvot and let's not talk about the Midot because if the Torah doesn't talk about it, who am I to speak about it? Right, like, well, I'm not going to make it important if God didn't make it important. So he says like this in the second paragraph. And here he says it out. Rabbi Yaakov didn't say it out, uh, but here he says it out. He says, we have to understand that Midot, uh, which are character traits, are different types of... Uh, it's different than Midot, who is like when you have... Mido is something that, that sometimes are developed. Who notice I'm born being absent-minded, right? You know, it's not like, you know, I've had students that have been very frustrated with their husbands because, uh, I'll give you some examples of it, you know, a number of women have said to me over the years, my husband opens up the door but never closes it, like to the kitchen cabinet or to the closet, never closes it, and I tell him to do it, and he, he wants to do it, and then the next day it's the same thing, Right? So that might not be a me, that might be a truna. It's like people are absent-minded, so it's really, you know, certain things you have to just accept because that's, that's the way that person is, you know. You can't not accept, let's say, a person who can't multitask. You can't say to them, thou shalt multitask. You know, you, you want to be married to me, you got to multitask. When I'm talking to you, you could be on the phone, you have to be on the phone, and I'm talking to you, and you should be you know, writing something at the same time. Not everybody could do that, you know? So that's a truna. It's not, a, it's not developed. There are people who are multitaskers, people who are not multitaskers, right? So there's a lot of trunot like that. So he, that's why he gives you two types of If he's not, he, the altar of Slavotka says if the person doesn't have good midot and proper trunot, right? He um, he's not fitting for Torah at all. He says it right out. If you have don't, you don't have good midot, you don't have Torah. Why? The person was created as a perfect person. Because he was created in the image of God. In other words, 
man was created as a perfect creature, meaning man was created with good midot. Like today, if you see someone with bad midot, we'll have to explain why, how that happens. But man was created with good midot. And what was supposed to happen was, upon those midot, the Torah should have been put upon. Meaning, you have good midot. On that, the Torah has something to say about that person one step above. Okay? This where he says it. Vizu Kavanas Divrei Chazal is a very famous medrash that says, Chavtav Doros, that's 26 generations, Kodma Derecheretz Litorah. 26 generations, Derecheretz preceded Torah. Meaning, till Matan Torah, there were 26 generations from Adam until Matan Torah. And how did the world live without Torah? Derecheretz. Meaning, the world. We shouldn't understand that the world couldn't survive. It was survived through Derech Eretz, right? Now, not everybody had Derech Eretz. Like, Zdom had a problem with Derech Eretz, and the Dor HaMabel had problems with Derech Eretz, as we'll see. But, but the idea was that, uh, according to the altar of Slabotka, this is the base for which Torah comes, you know, the Torah, like, sort of, get, is, is, grows out of Good midot, a person who lives life like a mensch, Torah is going to actually lift them to another level. But it's not instead of derecheretz. It's built on derecheretz. And that's why I say to you that there are a lot of people who don't know this, a lot of people who don't want to know it, right? There are people who don't know it. They think that once I have the Torah, I don't need derecheretz. And those are the people that um, make the best chil Hashem around because they, 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 they don't realize that there's a concept of Derech Eretz and that the Torah doesn't contradict that. Torah is built on it, and if you don't have the Derech Eretz, the Torah sort of collapses, right? And a lot of times what you see is a Chil Hashem because a person will, you know, get angry about something, right? Uh, even, even about a mitzvah, they'll get angry, right? Maybe they'll get angry with, with their family because he's trying to daven or something, right? But and he'll, get, he'll get upset and he'll lose it. Right, so there's your bad midos with a very a person who really wants to daven, right? And the Alter Slabotka is saying that it doesn't work that way. That derecheretz preceded Torah twenty six generations. That's to tell me that Torah is given on that and not instead of it. Okay, kikol midos vatchunas hatovus kolos bederecheretz vehein hutvu baadam mitivo. A person was given that naturally and they don't need, he says it very clear, they don't need to be given Torah for this. He actually says it. They don't need a Matan Torah for it. Okay? Right? The Matan Torah comes to add. Like, so if, according to Derek Heretz, let's say, I'm supposed to love my fellow man. Let's say Derek Heretz tells me that. Okay? Torah comes along and says you're supposed to love your fellow man like yourself. That's in addition to the Torah. I love my fellow man, but not as much as myself. I have to watch out for number one. Right? But that could be actually true, that according to Derek Herod, you have to love your neighbor. But you don't have to love like yourself. But you have to love your neighbor. That's what Derek Herod says. Torah adds. So what he's trying to say is basically is if you have mitzvahs in the Torah, they're in addition to the Derek Herod's what you have and not instead of it. How did he get the Derek in the first place? Oh, so they got the Derek because really that should have been passed along 
from Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, and then, of course, you have Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, we'll see, that they were... They weren't built on, I mean, Chazal tried to show that they were Makayim the Torah, but the Pashup shot in the text is everything Avram Avinu did was because of Derech Heretz. And that's what the Medrash says, Derech Heretz, Kabbalah, Torah, Chafav, Doris, meaning part of those 26 generations is Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Right? But we'll even see it more clearly soon. Now, the the Rabdovid Kimchi, the Radak, in. Um, in uh, in number of places, I just picked one, but it's in I would say easily five or six places. He comes up with a certain foundational idea. Comes up with a, a very interesting idea. Okay, but the but basically the what Rebnosin Finkel was really saying was the reason why those mitzvos of don't get angry, be a mensch are not in the Torah because. They came before the Torah, and Torah is built on them. That's the answer to the question: Why the Torah didn't command about midot? Because that you should have had, because you're a human being. The question is, right? Uh, that Amy was asking is, okay, where where do I where am I supposed to get it from, right? Uh, so I said you get it from Adam and Eve, but we'll soon see that there's even a source in the there's even a source in the in, in Tanakh for it as well. So the Radak says something interesting. I'm going to give you the example in Yonah. Right? The Radak wants to know why is Yonah going to Nineveh to tell them that God is going to destroy your land? Right? Why is, why is God sending him to Nineveh? Like, you know, the Vim are for the Jews, they're not for the non Jews. Right? So, what are you don't find the Vim going to, well, you, go for, you find the Vim going to nations and Yermio goes to nations and he says that God is going to come. You're not going to get out of this. The, the Melech Bavel, the king of Babylonia, is going to destroy your nation too as well, right? But we don't find that a, a Navi came and said, go do tshuva, right? That the nation should do tshuva. That's what Yonah does. He, I mean, he doesn't want to do it, but at the end he goes, right? And he tells do tshuva. So the Radak says like this, right at the beginning of, of the, one of the first Pesukim, he um, God sends Yonah because he says, their evil came up before me. Ninveh's evil. You should understand that God also oversees the nations of the world, not just Jews. On one condition. When they, are, they have Hamas. I mean, I'm not talking about the group now, right? The Hamas is like a person who is, takes advantage of other people. The Dor HaMabal, it says, Kimola, or it's Hamas, right? right? These were people who perverted uh, their humanity, basically, in a lot of different ways, but the the basic concept was perverting of humanity. Same thing with Dor with the Zdom. You know, the Zdom, according to the text, looks like that they were heavily involved in 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 uh, homosexual behavior, but it's not homosexual behavior. It's really homosexual behavior to to a guest, right? There was they they wanted to. Um, um, undermine the idea of having guests in their community, right? So they figured if they if they if they if they attack them in a very perverted way, they won't have guests. So the idea wasn't so much you know that they were they were homosexuals and they wanted to you know have relationships and it was very exciting to have relationships with people they didn't know, which today we know there's ideas like that, right? It was more like. 
And that's what Chazal say, to make sure that people don't come here. If you come here, you come at your own risk. You don't visit, you risk, right? So that, that is an undermining of good midot, right? Because two consenting adults, okay, if you're a Westerner, it's two consenting adults. In Zdoma, it was one consenting adult. Or many, many adults against people who didn't consent, right? So he says, when God is going to oversee nations, when they pervert humanity. And the Radak is trying to explain why is it that God all of a sudden takes note of nations. When they're serving Avodah Zarah, God doesn't take note, even though it's comp- competition for him. Well, it's is competition, but God doesn't take note. He doesn't say that. He says that God takes note when there's, when there's lacking the menschlichkeit of the person. When the humanity has a problem, that's when God takes notice. Why? Because Hamas is mafsid hayishuv, meaning that you can't exist in a world where people are trampling on other people. That was if we take that to the extreme, the world couldn't exist. We always have good people. I'm not talking about Jews now. I'm talking about non-Jews. Right? We live in a world where there are a lot of nice, very nice non-Jews, thank God, and they're acting like mentioned even though they don't have the Torah. Right? They act in a proper way and they don't take advantage of the poor, they don't take advantage of other people, which, you know, Zdom and Doramabal actually did. Right? Um, so he says it's mafsid, it like sort of uh, deteriorates the, the, the idea of of inhabiting the world. God wants one thing. He wants the world to continue operating and functioning. Other Averis he doesn't care, but if it's an Avera that has relevance to making sure people are not mistreating other people, that's when God takes note. So he gives us the, the he gives us really the rule of thumb already in the twelfth century uh, in the thirteenth century. The Radak actually it's a, it's the end of the twelfth century that the Radak says it that he says that um, that this idea of derecheret was an idea the way the whole world lived and in fact he uses that yisod that foundational idea that the whole world lived that way to say that's when God takes note of the other nations and that's why he took. Note of Ninveh, and that's why he destroyed the Dara Mabul, and that's why he destroyed Zdom, because God wants the world to be inhabited properly. If it's not, and people are taking advantage, and humanity has gone down the drain, then there's no point of those people being there. Now, if you think about it, it's exactly the idea of the altar of Slabotka. In other words, Torah has to be given to a mensch, to a human being. If the person doesn't have that, and at the end, if you go back to the altar of Slabotka on the bottom of the right, of a person that is destructive of his character traits, He says, when a person has terrible midos, he leaves not He's not just a bad person. He's not a person anymore. He's not an Adam. So how can I give certain... T- animals weren't given Torah. So I can't give them Torah. That's why the Altar of is explaining very similar t- 
Rabbi Yaakov didn't speak it out, but the Alter of Slabotka speaks it out. He speaks out, he says, that a, a Torah was only given to a mensch. If you're not a mensch, there's no Torah. And therefore, if you have bad midos, you're not a mensch. If you're not a mensch, Torah, you know, you, you, he, he, actually want, he actually says the words of Ukilu over Me'amatzius. He's not existing anymore. Because as a, as a human being, he's not existing. Because humanity means that you have good midos. Okay? So, what is the Pusik? Uh, the Pusik is in number five. Levadra eze matzati asher osalukimis adam yashar vehemu bikshu chishbonot rabim. Right? Except, see that God, I found that God made a person yashar, and as you know, the avot were called, we'll see, yasharim, they were called uh, sefer hayashar. There's a, there's, a, there's a sefer that is quoted in, let's say, sefer Shmuel. In sefer Shmuel, Dovid Amel quotes a sefer called Sefer HaYashar. Nobody knows exactly what is he referring to. We don't have that Sefer. Right? So the Ibn Ezra, if I'm not mistaken, says, yeah, we had something like that. We don't have it anymore. But Chazal say it's Sefer Bereshis, where the whole Sefer Bereshis existed because the people, the, the Jewish people, or not they weren't even Jews, according to many, the Avram, B'nai Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, were Yesharim. They were straight people. They were honest people. Yashar doesn't mean just straight. It means like Mesila Yesharim, right? The path of the straight or the path of the just, right? They were honest people, and therefore they were called Yesharim. They, they lived through their Acherets, right? So that's what he says. God made a person Yashar. But they started searching for, you know, started to, to, to search for, um, uh, you know, uh, to... to, to um, What's a good word for it? Um, to manipulate. In other words, man was Yashar. The minute you start manipulating other people, you're not Yashar anymore, right? Uh, obviously, when you manipulate people, you don't want people to know you're doing that. So if you're really a shrewd guy, you manipulate them and you sell them the Brooklyn Bridge and they don't even know about it. Obviously, they eventually find out that they don't own the Brooklyn Bridge, right? But that's what it means, right? The lack of Yashus is that... Um, that you're manipulating people in a dishonest way, you're a dishonest person, and the avot were the antithesis of that. I'm not going to go into all different stories, but the 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 Gemara says sefer sefer is called sefer yeshar because the avot were yesharim, right? Um, um, in fact, uh, I'm going to quote a piece from my grandfather. Some an interesting piece. He claims that. Avram Avinu was not obligated to save Lot halachically. When Lot was capt- captured, I'm not obligated to put myself in danger in order to, to get my nephew freed, you know? So why did he do it? Because he said, because of Yashrus, not because of halacha. And the Ovos, they lived with Yashrus more than with than Torah. Okay, in other words, if Torah and Yashrus came into a... Um, into uh, one challenging the other, in that time, Yashrus would win out. Okay? What do I mean? Um, he says that Avram Avinu felt he had to um, uh, uh, save Lot because he promised, you know, he took responsibility for Lot because Avram's brother was Lot's father. He, was, he died. And he took responsibility. So he felt 
as menschlichkeit, Rabbi Yaakov actually uses that terminology, that he has to do it even if he's not obligated. By the way, you know, the, I'll give you another example of it that's a very interesting example. I know there are personal shecht of why you really like this. He uses it a lot. But Rabbi Yaakov is the one, he quotes Rabbi Yaakov over here, and he says that, you know, the Ramban says that, asks the question that the Avos were, Mekai, the Gemara says that the Avos fulfilled the, the Torah before it was given. Nitna. Right? A number of different places. The Gemara says it, the Medrash says it. So the Ramban, of course, he asked a question that Yaakov married two sisters. According to Allah, he and married two sisters. So it's a good, it's a bomb. So the Ramban comes to the conclusion, and he has like his agenda over here is excellent. He, he wants to show that Eretz Yisrael is the, is, the, is the right place to keep mitzvot. So he says, oh, he married two sisters in diaspora. He didn't keep the mitzvot in diaspora. He kept the Eretz Yisrael, because that's the place we have to keep mitzvot. And that's why, of course, he... He has this great idea. He says, when Rachel, Rachel came to back to Eretz Yisrael, after birthing, she died, right? Because he was only allowed to have one wife. So my grandfather disagreed with the Ramban. He said, he said like this. He said, let me try to remember, that, um, that the to- Torah, it's true that if the Ovos kept the Torah, they kept it even diaspora, like we keep it, right? We keep it in Boston, right? In Sharon. You keep it also, right? Um, so, uh, so why did why did Yaakov marry to to Rachel after he married already Leah? So he says because Leah Rachel was waiting for him for years to get married, and he felt that it's not menchish not to marry her. You know what I mean? They made up to get married, right? She'll be very disappointed and very you know depressed about the fact, right? So here came into play Derecheretz the Torah. Torah says, you know, I'd have two sisters as wives, but Derecheretz says that you have to do it. So they lived with Derecheretz. The Torah wasn't given yet. So, there, so the Torah was a mahadran, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But you don't do mahadran when you have to do Derecheretz. When you have, the, the laws of Avram Avinu were Hilchus Derecheretz. They weren't Torah. That's what Rabbi Yaakov wants to say. And Rav Shechta, interesting enough, Really bought it. He he liked it very much. Okay. So anyway, the point over here is that um, that uh, that it seems from all these different commentaries that uh, the idea of Torah. We'll see soon. Um, uh, just we'll see um, from Rabbi Yaakov. Just the last piece on the all the way to the left. Rabbi Yaakov asks an interesting question. You know, the first Rashi and Chumash raises the question, why did the Torah start with Bereshus? It should start with the first mitzvah, Chodesh Delechem. In other words, why do we have the Torah for mitzvah? So why did, it, why did it have to start with Bereshus? Give me this whole philosophy of creation of the world, creation of man, right? Rashi asks the question. The Ramban also asks the question, but a lot of the commentators question. It's an obvious question, like, you know, the whole point of the Torah is to give us mitzvot. So all of a sudden you got like this whole safer, right? about nothing to do with mitzvot. There's a, one or two mitzvot, three mitzvot mentioned there or something, but it doesn't have to do with mitzvot, right? So Rashi answers uh, that God wanted the world to know that, you know, he talks about the land of Israel, that, that uh, the Canaanites living in the land of Israel would say that the Jewish people are thieves. They stole the land. We know that there's a lot of, there's a lot of evidence of that today that people would say that. So, um, so God said, look, I created the world. And do, everything belongs to me, right? It doesn't belong to anybody. It belongs to me. 
And therefore, I can decide, tomorrow, today I give it to Kanani, and tomorrow I give it to the Jews, and the next day I give it to Nebuchadnezzar, and the next day I did it. You know, God can decide that, because at the end of the day, it's God's land. In last week's parsha, it spoke about it. It's God's land. Right? To me, I own the land. So, so um, Rabbi Yaakov asks the following interesting question. He says, wait a minute. Okay, that's why Beratius had to be written, like the story of Beratius, say God created the world. But wait a minute, the whole story of Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, has nothing to do with mitzvos, right? So Rashi doesn't even bother to ask that question and answer it. Why are we learning about Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov? They didn't have Torah, right? So he says, how come Rashi doesn't answer that question? He said, it should have started from Achodesh, Ezelachem, Rosh Kodoshim. That's in Shmos. So he answers why God created the world. But the whole rest of Rashi's, he doesn't answer. Like, why did, why did God write all about that? And it's very nice that Avram Avinu is, you know, our, one of our forefathers. It's a great thing, you know. You know, it's very, you can be very proud of it, but you start with mitzvot, right? So Rabbi Yaakov says the following idea. That's the last paragraph. So he asks, Vine Rashi, Reish Bereshis, Hikshamadua, Hizkila, Torah Bereshis, right? And then he, he gives Rashi's answer in about one, two, three, four, five, six lines. Ulechora, Zerak, Rak Miyashev, Madua, Via, Torah, Tsipuri, Maisa Bereshis, Avukola, Parshas, Milechlecha, Ad Parshas Bo, Adayin, Enu Muvan, Madua, Utstucha, Torah, Larich, Bechose. Why does the Torah have to be so lengthy? With these stories, right? Avol if imasha kasafti nirad beemes al parshus eloloi akasha klal. Rashi wasn't asking on this at all. It wasn't even a question to begin with. That shipur meela anulamei the matzrichalios hanhogat the adam al pi ayoshav aderacherets because that you need because we're learning from the avol to be a yosher, a straight thinking, a straight doing person, a person who's honest, upstanding, and that you should have. Good midot. So that was never a question. So you see again that Rabbi Yaakov himself holds that I needed this as a Hagdama for Torah. So that's why Bereshus is the Hagdama for Torah, that you have to see how you live without Torah. And then Torah comes and lifts it to another level, but it's not actually instead of it. So I, wanna, I just want to maybe end with something very interesting. I once heard Rabbi Yaakov speak at a Torah Masorah convention. Okay, the Torah Masorah, you know, is like the, so to speak, like the umbrella of, I don't know if it is today, but in my day it was the umbrella of Hebrew day schools, right? So it still is, right? So they wanted to devote, change the curriculum in the school at that time in the 1970s. I don't know what happened, but I know that they wanted to change the curriculum and, and build in more Midos development. Okay. So they asked Rabbi Yaakov to come to the convention. He always came to the convention, but they asked him to speak. So uh, I remember it very well. Rabbi Yaakov got up and he raised the following question. He said, you know, we count, it was during Sphere's Homer, they make all these dinners during Sphere's Homer because you can't have music anyway. So, you know, what the heck, you, have a, have, you can have a dinner. You can't have a wedding, but you can have a dinner. So a lot of the yeshivas make their dinners during Sphere's Homer. Over here also? Okay. <laughs> so they don't let you forget it. Anyway, so, um, so he came in and he spoke and he raised the following question. He said, you know, we count now towards Shavuos, towards Matan Torah, which is a very beautiful thing that, you know, 
it's very beautiful. You know, you, anyone who has children knows that, you know, you have a four-year-old kid, you tell them your birthday's next month, and every day asks you, is it next month already? <laughs> you know? They can't stop doing that, right? They, they're very excited about it, and, you know, it's like that when I was a little kid, they had a commercial on television. I have to tell you, I had a TV, but don't spread it. Um, uh, it was called when the, when, the, when, the, when the Heinz ketchup, you poured it out on the hamburger, so it was called, it, there was a song, Anticipation. So, so you, you see how it's, you know, they wanted to show you that it's thick. You know, so they said, Anticipation as it's coming out, you know. So there's like this anticipation, you know. He says, and we're building up towards this Matan Torah, and that's why we study Pirkei Avot, to do our Midos and everything. Then all of a sudden, in the middle, like, something happens in the Godic period, and during that count, we become very sad. And people are like all confused about it because they think it's like the three weeks. You know, a lot of people say like, you know, we're mourning and we forget about the counting towards Matan Torah. Now we count towards the morning. It's one less day that I can't listen to music. <laughs> Two less days. I, right? I get to 33 and listen to music, right? Torah sort of fell by the wayside over here, right? So, so Rabbi Yaakov said it's very strange because normally if there's a time that's very good for the Jews, like Purim, so Mishanichnas Adar Mar Mesimcha, Mishanichnas Av Mamatim Mesimcha, the Mishnah says, right? In other words, there are good times, good luck times, and bad luck times. All of a sudden, this was a, should have been a great luck time, and all of a sudden you stick in here, mourning. Why would Chazal allow that? I mean, it's really probably more from the Gaonic period, but why would the Gaonim like stick into this time, you know, the idea of mourning when... We should be very happy in counting. This is the question Rabbi Yaakov asked. And Rabbi Yaakov said the, the following answer, which fits in with everything we said. He said that the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva had a ton of Torah, but they were lacking their Acherets. And since they, they didn't have their Acherets, because it says in the Gemara, Shalonogu covered Zebozeh, they didn't, I don't want to go into that whole Indian right now, because it's not for this year, but the, the students didn't, didn't treat each other properly, right? And so Rabbi Yaakov said, that's to tell you that their Torah wasn't Torah. In other words, you're counting towards Matan Torah, so I want to tell you, sometimes you could actually be studying Torah, but it's not Torah. Because there's no midos that, it's, that the Torah is being built on. Right? If anything, it's the opposite, that maybe, you, you know, because you're studying Torah, you, you, di- you didn't focus on your midos, and therefore, because one who becomes very shrewd from studying Torah, because you can, if you, if you use the the logic of Torah, right? Uh, it gets you very shrewd. That's why everybody's doing with the thumb and, you know, no, it's not like this, but it's like this and, you know, it's not exactly like this and it's this case, not this case, right? So the more shrewd you get, if you don't have good midos, you begin to use that. And I know people who did that, uh, that use the Torah in a shrewd way, you know, that they're never wrong because they always have a way to show you that they're right, right? And again, that a lot of times that, comes to Chil Hashem because um, at the end of the day we we know what you know that that person is not acting properly right they're just trying to trying to convince you that they're acting properly because they're so smart or because they're such a such a lamdin but he says Rabbi Yaakov says that's exactly the point that Rabbi Akiva saw that his students right that Torah that type of Torah doesn't last because it's not based on good midot and therefore, they dafka, the Gaonim dafka enacted at this time that we should have this idea of uh, mourning Rabbi Akiva's Talmidim, not so much because the Talmidim died, 
because the reason why they died and their Torah didn't continue on, Rabbi Akiva had to start all over again, it says, right? He started with five students and he reestablished the Torah. But the reason why he had to do that was because their Torah was not a sacred Torah. It would, could be wisdom, because someone could learn Torah as wisdom as well, but it would not be something sacred anymore. So that's why I feel that this is an important idea, and I'll end with it, is that um, the, the, it's very clear from the sources I gave you is that the, the world, anyone in the, or the, the world or certain people in the world who think that, you know, I do what the Torah says and I don't have to have good midos or the Torah never talks about good midos or, uh, you know, Torah's, Torah will give me good midos. All these commentaries, including my grandfather, saying that's not really true. You have to build your midos through derech heretz. And like the Pasuk says, God made the person yashar vein bikshu cheshbonot rabim. By the way, Rashi brings, if I'm not mistaken, but Chazal say it, that it starts off with saying, Elokim adam yashar. He made Adam, right? He made him uh, straight, right? The heim bikshu cheshbonot rabim. Who's heim? They. He says, when Adam and Eve got together, that's when they... When the problem started, and that was Hain Bikshu. God created Adam, but when they both got together, they sat down and said, oh, You know, how can we get, you know, get a hold of that tree? Yeah, right? Was, they started the calculations. That's Chishbanot, right? Calculations, right? They started calculating, and that's really what, how you undermine people, take advantage of people. You make calculations, but of course, how are you going to take advantage of them? Right, and that's the that's the idea over here is that we that when we're counting towards Matan Torah, the reason why we're learning Pirkei Avot is Pirkei Avot is the only Masechet that really doesn't have halacha in it. There's no halacha; it's just more Musar Hashkafa. Right? That's why they picked that because they were saying that you have to become a mensch. Now we we actually have a tractate that helps you become a mensch. Most of the tractates just tell you how to keep mitzvot. Well, Bakama tells you how to keep the mitzvot in Mishpatim, you know, uh, Rosh Hashanah tells you how to keep the mitzvot of Rosh Hashanah, Tkiyat Shofar, right? Yom tells you how to keep Yom Kippurim, right? Tells you how to do the Avodah, right? But, but, um, Pirkei Avod, what does it tell me how to do, right? It tells me how to be a mensch, right? And that's why Dafka Chazal, or in the Golden Period, they picked this, um, to, to learn during this time, the six weeks, but it was such a good idea that they decided to, you know, sometimes you have really good ideas, so you, you, put it, you keep it going, right? But the original idea was because this dafka doesn't have halacha. It's the derecheret shekadvola Torah. By the way, when I was in the Israeli army, I'll never forget the first, I went into a room, into someone's office, to a officer's office. He had to tell me something. And on top it said derecheret shekadvola Torah. That's what it said on the, on the wall. Now, they left out the end part. Right? They said, because every time they want to read the Mechal Shabbos, they said to me, but it's, I, had to, I had to enlighten the guy and say, like, I actually showed it to him. Uh, I said, in the Medrash, it doesn't say that. Right? Um, it says in the Medrash, you know, a lot of people quote a half quote. You know, I'll tell you another half quote that they always quote. I mentioned it to someone before Pesach. But, but that's one of the quotes, Derech Heretz Kodmol Torah. It doesn't mean Derech Heretz is more important than Torah. It preceded it historically, Chof of Torah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but in the, in the army, they just had that part. 
I mean, it was printed. There are Herod's Kabbalah Torah, right? So, but before, you know, I mentioned to somebody that, you know, one of the most famous statements you have of the Bible is, let my people go, mm-hmm. right? Now, it doesn't say that. There's the end of the Pesach, right? Shalach esami v'yavduni. Right? Send out my people and they'll serve me. Because, because that's the whole point of going... There's no such thing as freedom without a mission, without a meaning, right? So shalach esami But everyone says, let my people go, right? You let your people go and you don't give them anything else, they're going to wind up in jail. Right, so you, you let your people go and give them something else that they didn't have, la brut, right? Give them something more meaningful than being obviously a slave. But uh, we have a lot of these quotes that are sort of, they cut off the end of the quote and it actually changes the whole meaning of the idea. Anyway, that's what I, that's what I wanted to let you guys know. Any questions? Yeah, sure. Um, so, Reb Chaim Vital says that... Um, I'm pretty sure. I haven't seen it. Right, recently. right, right. But he he says that um, the the Torah does not tell us to have good midos, but there is a mitzvah in the Torah of halacha bedracha, right? Supposed to emulate the midos of Hashem. So, right. How, how does Reb Chaim Tal fit with that pasuk? How does it fit? Yeah, I'm saying it seems to be contradictory. Well. Um, Probably Reb Chaim Vital, because the author of Slobodka is big on that Pusik as well. Okay. He really, really gives into that Pusik. Right? In fact, I think even in the article he says something about it. He may have mentioned it. Um, I don't know if it, it may be not right in what I quoted, but in the article itself he mentions it. My, my impression is that, um, that when, he, when it says, Valachta Bedrachov, right? What it means is, what, what, the altar of Slobodka raises the question of what even go in God's ways? We're not God. How can we imitate God? So he says, because we have a Tzalamolokim. Right? So the idea of the altar, the Rav Chaim Vital and the altar of Slobodka is that this idea of Allah Tavidrachov comes because of, comes because of the fact that there's a Tzalamolokim. Um, that person is Selim Kim. Now, okay, so if they had it for Matan Torah, now why do we need Allah Chibrach? That's your question. So the altar of Slobodka says, every type of way of acting like God that we have, after the Torah is given, is going to be more demanding. In other words, acting like God, there's different levels of acting like God. So, um, he says that acting like God, there's, there's a level where... Um, um, he gives an example, let's say chesed. Right? I said, Vaftal Recha Kamocha, right? But uh, the example of chesed is, God does chesed. You should do chesed. So the altar of Slabotka says, wait a minute, if it's part of Derech Heretz, what do I need the Torah to tell me? So he says, without the Torah, you'd also do have to do chesed. That's why Avramavinu did chesed. Because right? you have to do chesed. And other people at that time did chesed because that's what. That's the way a human being should understand he has to be involved in the world by doing chesed, right? But he says, normally chesed would be, let's say, um, um, a, a poor person, right? So I give him, you know, I give him something to eat because he's a poor person, right? After Matan Torah, the fact that he's a poor person doesn't, you can't dismiss your obligation of giving him something that he thinks is okay, because he's worth much more than that. Since he's created in the image of God, he's worth much more than it, right? And therefore, you have to give him, 
when you feed him a meal, the altar of Slovakia used to say it, he says, like, you have to give him Shlomo, Suda Shlomo Melch Peshaiti. You have to give him steak with uh, fries. And, you know, you have to be politically correct, so with uh, some green vegetable as well. Right? Um, so, uh, um, th- that's what you have to give him. Now, he, he'd be happy with beans. Dalter Slobodka says, because he's a poor person, so he gives him beans, he sees beans, he's quite happy. Beans, by the way, is actually very healthy, right? But, uh, but he says, you're not giving him, you're not giving him because of what he feels. You're giving him because you know who he is, even if he doesn't know who he is, right? And he says that um, that's why you can't be feeling I'm doing him a favor. Because since he's created in the image of God, you're obligated to do that. The minute you feel like you're doing him a favor, you're still in the world of Derech Eretz, but you're not yet in the world of the Torah. The Torah, when you're in the world of the Torah, it means if I could do more, I would do more for that person, right? I just, I can't afford it, but I could do more for the person, right? But you never have this idea of he didn't appreciate me. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's his business. Your business is... He's a Tselomol Kim, and therefore you're obligated to do. So the altar of Slabotka held, and he was very extreme in this, by the way. He held that everything, every type of mitzvah and chaveru we have in the Torah is saying something more to us than if it was just Derech Eretz. And he tries to show it in a few different places where it's, it's, it's more, right? It could be in Ilchas Derech Eretz, for instance, if you, you're not allowed to kill somebody, Right? So it's even more than But he says in, 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 it could be there's different levels of derecheretz where, let's say, embarrassing a person. Would we say that's, you know, in the, in the Gemara it says it's like you kill him, right? The Gemara tries to point out that a person becomes white because he loses his blood, he becomes red, he becomes white. In other words, the point over here is that the person is, is in a sense, losing their life because the, of their embarrassment, right? So it, it could be Derech Eretz would also say that. But would Derech Eretz say um, that a person has to throw themselves into an oven? The Gemara says you have to throw yourself into an oven not to avoid embarrassing someone. They learn it from Tamar, right? But they learn it as, some people learn it's actually a chiyab. You know, I don't know if you know that Tosus and the Rabbeinu Yonah say that you have an obligation to lose your life just like not to kill someone. If someone says, kill that person, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. He says, if, if someone says, embarrass that person, right, or I'm going to kill you, you have to give up your life also. I mean, not all the Rishonim hold like that, but Rabbeinu Yonah and Tosfus hold like that. Um, so, in other words, that the Torah becomes, the, the Torah commands certain things that, that you wouldn't have out Derech Herz. Maybe Derech Herz would say, I don't, I'm, I'm not allowed to embarrass a person, but I don't have to give up my life for it. Right? According to Tosus and the Rabbeinu Yonah, you have to give up your life. Tosus and the Shari Tshuva says, you have to give up your life for it. You know? He told, Rabbeinu Yonah asks, why, why doesn't they count it as a fourth thing? Right? Um, the three major cardinals. They should say, embarrassing a person. He says it's included already in, right? It's included in, already in, um, in, uh, in killing somebody. That's what he says. So you see that he holds that way. In any event, the point is that you know Shmuel is bringing out over here is you know that I think according to the altar of Slavotkin, you have to say that 
the Torah demanded when the finally when the mitzvah came around, the addition to derech eretz is what really the Torah comes in. But the midos itself that the Torah doesn't talk about, right? Torah never says thou shalt not get angry, right? They would say the Vital would say because any person who's straight thinking and as a mensch knows that that's something that's unacceptable. Any other questions? Yes. So I wonder if um, well, Rabbi Sharon would think about. I think like post Holocaust, I think there was this. Um, what happened with the Germans? I think kind of like shook everyone's faith in Darachayrts that comes outside of Torah. Do you? What, what are your thoughts about that? Of the Germans, you mean? They were. They were. They were mentioned. Uh huh. They were lovely. They were right. the loveliest neighbors, and they turned around in cold blood and. And perpetrated. So I mean, oh, we, we, too. I mean, you're a psychologist, so you'd have to really analyze it psychologically. No, I'm not yeah. a psychologist. No, that's me. Oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm, a, I'm one of the more educators. Oh, okay. I have to meet you afterwards. Uh, yeah. What's your name? Yehuda Solomon. Yeah, I was confusing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do I know you, Yudas? I don't think so. Not no, sure. I met Yafa when she came pre-COVID. Um, I know all your students. <laughs> I, I get that. Okay. Do we, do we really say they were mentioned? Everybody knows they you? They were just refined. They what? Mentioned. Do we really say they were so mentioned? So that's what I'm saying. So th- th- there's different ways to analyze it. One way but to analyze it would say that it was all... Etiquette. It was etiquette, right. right. It was not It was not really... There's, that's the difference between etiquette and... Um, the Rav Solveitchik has like a place where he talks about the difference between etiquette and um, calls it some other word... Um, Etiquette and um, etiquette. I think he says ethic and etiquette, right? With etiquette, he says that has to do with uh, something superficial. That um, that he he actually uses it for the story of Noah's children, because it says, according to Rashi at least, it says that. Um, Vayikach, it says Vayikach, uh, shame v'yefes. So Rashi says that yet that shame was the first to begin, right, um, uh, to cover his father, right. Whereas Ham was, you know, trying to belittle the father. They wanted to cover the father's nakedness. So, um, so Rav Salvechik says that um, shame did it because of something ethical, right. And Yefes did it because of etiquette. That's why Yefes is the, where, where the Greeks come from, you know. The beauty of the Greeks, for Solveitchik says, that's all superficial. Right? That's where it ends, right? That's, that's etiquette. Now, etiquette can change from time to time. So I, I, I wanna, I wanna, I'll give you an example. When I was a kid, my father, my father was a rabbi in a shul, so I don't remember any of his ideas so much. I mean, when I got older, I learned some ideas from him, but the ideas that I heard when I was a kid, all I remember is, like, the stories that he said. I don't remember, like, where he pinned them on to what. But here, in this part, in your particular question, it'll make a lot of sense. He says that, actually, he used the word Harvard. It was very interesting. But I, the, whole, the whole thing is like a marshal. It's not true. But he used, Harvard was a name, like, for, you know, for, in, in, for the people of my father's shul. They were all Eastern European kids who came in the late 18, early 1900s, Yiddish-speaking people, but they didn't know a lot, 
Rav Soloveitchik in a few places describes him in his Farim, these types of people who lived in Brookline as well. Uh, they didn't have much education. You know, they had to start working at 12 years old, right? Uh, but they had a very strong, he says, very strong faith, right? So, um, so uh, my father would, 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 you know, speak to them. It was a, he was Yiddish speaking. People spoke Yiddish. Hold on a second. Just turn that off. So, um, um, he, gave a, he gave like a marshal. He said there was a story of two professors from Harvard who went to, who went to do research in deepest, darkest Africa about, you know, um, cannibals, people who eat humans. Because they really wanted to understand, like, you know, those people are human beings. Like, wh- what's going on in their minds? So um, they go to study there for a couple of years. And again, I don't think this story is true. Uh, I think it's just like really a marshal. Um, but he says they, they went to study under these people, and they had actually, they brought along guards because maybe one night, you know, <laughs> you know they'll get hungry, you know. So, you know, and, and one guy, one of the two professors, decides he needs to do further research, and he'll come back six months after the, the other ones. So that other one, the other one leaves, right? And the second guy never comes back. He like, you know, one year passes, two years, and he's, you know, he can't communicate with him in the deepest, darkest Africa. So he finally decides he's going to go back there and see if he's still alive, you know. Anyway, he sees that he comes back and makes the long story short. Now, Rabbi has to lengthen it, but make a long story mm-hmm. short. Right? He says that he sees, he's in shock, he sees that the other professor became the head of the tribe. And he's like, in his, you know, he's incensed by it, you know. This fellow, and there is somebody, you know, such a mensch. Right? So, um, so he said, like, how could you possibly be part of this, you know, eating, you know, humans? So he says, it's all changed. Now we eat with forks and knives. <laughs> Right? So that could be what the Germans were, right? They ate with forks and knives, but they, they weren't really, it wasn't really real. Right? And a lot of people even say it about the European culture, that it's not so real. It's really etiquette, but it's not ethical. Right? Eth- ethical means you do it no matter what, because it's the right thing to do. Right? Etiquette means, you know, in a place where it becomes acceptable, to do X, Y, and Z, then it becomes acceptable. Not a, we changed a lot of our values that way because it became acceptable till now we were in a state of shock and all of a sudden it becomes acceptable. That's more etiquette than, than, than ethic. And I think that's what, you, that's what you really have to say. But again, I think a psychologist would analyze it. Probably someone did already do studies mm-hmm. on it because like, it it's, it's crazy that a, a nation like that could become you know, like that. I mean, like, you know, uh, it's just, even today I can't understand it. You know, even after it all happened, I just can't understand how those people, like, turned to such a degree that, you know, the Jews weren't anymore even, you know, they weren't anymore even uh, insects, you know? So it's just, like, not to understand. But do you think that that gave the observant world kind of like this more ammunition to be like there is no Derek Haaretz outside of Torah. Right, so I, I think you're right. I, I think you're right, but 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 is my question to you is I think you're right. I think that's their calculation. Right. My question is, did you ever meet a secular person that that was a mensch? 
point, but I'm saying growing up in the from school system, it was kind of like, no, there is none. Right. And, and that's, uh, that's and exactly that's why I gave you my speech tonight. But I'm thinking, I think that that's where it grows from. It could be. Of the very, It like, could be, it grows from there. Or right. totally, like, how did my neighbor just stab my mother in, in their back? Right. Why can't they say that it could be there if it's outside of Torah, but it may not be strong enough to withstand other kinds yeah. of influence. It could be. Right. Yeah, uh, that's another approach. But I, I agree. You could have another approach as well. But I, 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 don't th- I think that you're right that because the Torah world had seen that, right. so they that's reacted to it. But you see from these sources that it's just not true. Right, right. You know? That's Dafka, the reason why I gave the class. Yeah, because no, I no, think no, you're no. right. I'm trying to like, think, like, yeah, no, it's 100% true, but right. I wonder why. But, but for, for, uh, for a person that's observant to mock anything of the secular world, that's not so simple to right. do. Because there are a lot of you know, non-Jews who are very, very um, you know, uh, good people. They're very good people, laudable people. They're... they're um, you know, I once got a student many, many years ago. I th- before anyone's time here at Rachel, I got a student that uh, she's a grandmother already. She uh, when I ca- she came to the office and I asked her like, you know, I always asked him like, who's the cure person who sent you? Mm-hmm. She said the Dalai Lama sent me to study at Rachel. So I said, look, it can't be because he doesn't know me at Rachel. So she said, first of all, I'm not sure he doesn't know. <laughs> so and secondly, so I say, how do you know? So she says, I spent a year in the Himalayas, Himalayas, and after you spend a year volunteering, you get one question you could ask Dalai Lama. You get Yechidas, like with the Rebbe. <laughs> so she got uh, she got with uh, the Dalai Lama, and she said he was an extremely humble, real person. Yeah, I met um, him too. What you met him also? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I mean, he's still alive, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So again, I think maybe someone in maybe in the typical yeshiva world might be cynical about it, but you have people like that. You have Hasidim Olam that saved. You know, there's there's thousands of trees planted in Yad Vashem in Israel for non-Jews that saved Jews. So maybe in certain cases there were agendas, certain cases. But but certain cases there were no agendas. People gave life. The, this woman who was a social worker, um, uh, Arena, mm-hmm. right uh, in in Warsaw, right. She was uh, Arena. What was her name? Handler. I forget her name. Handler. Uh, she saved hundreds of Jewish children, uh, and there was no other reason except that they were Jewish children, you know, and they deserved to live, you know. She kept a record of them, you know, in a bottle, and, and later on people were able to find their kids because of that. Uh, she was caught and tortured by the Germans. She died not so long ago. She was close to 100 when she died in, um, let's say, about 10, 15, 10, 15 years ago, I think, she died. Um, so there were definitely people that were, um, you know, uh, there, there's, a, there's a movie called The Freedom Writers. Have you ever seen the movie? It's very good day to see it. It's basically a clean movie. It takes place in L.A. Um, and uh, it's about a teacher that deals with... You, you've seen the movie? I read the book. Read the book. Oh, that's even better than the movie. Um, so, um, so it's about a teacher that is in the, you know, in the, in the difficult areas of, you know, of, you know where there's a lot of Hispanics and blacks that are, you know, what? Inner city Los Angeles. Hey, right, inner city Los Angeles. 
But make a long story short, the this the what the teacher, interesting enough, who's not Jewish or anything in the movie, or maybe even out of the movie, <laughs> um, she gives she gives, she tells the the children the children the young teenagers to read Anne Frank's diary. She thinks that they could relate to it, and you know the movie shows them reading it and getting very. Um, Getting very impressed by it, and right, right, um, and then they invite the only living person who knew Anne Frank, uh, the secretary, at the at the factory where they hid, right. She knew the family was being hid there in the factory in the attic of the factory, and she didn't tell. So they decided to invite her to L.A., but she couldn't afford to come. She was old, couldn't afford to come. So they raised money in order to bring her, according to the movie, right. The claim is that it's it's a true movie. It's based on on fact. So she comes, and um, one of the guys says to her, "But why weren't you afraid? Why did you?" Because she said that the Germans suspected that she knew where Jews were, and they threatened her, but she didn't tell. So he said, "So like, but wh- why didn't you tell when you were being thrown?" So she says, "So she says, because it was the right thing to do." That's a person who has Hilchas Derecher, it's the way he's supposed to. It's the right thing to do. It's not something superficial because everybody's doing it, but it's the right thing to do. That's already the ethic as opposed to the etiquette. Right? Derecher, it's according to these people, is not an etiquette, it's, it's ethic. It's ethic. Torah lived, Torah, I mean, the, 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 Jew, the, the, the original Jewish people, Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov, Lived on that on the level of Derek Heretz till the Torah was given, right? And that they lived there, they lived it for real. In other words, it wasn't just like you know, say good morning because that's what people do. When you say good morning, you really wanted to know, you know, if the person has a good morning, you know, you want to you, you wanna know how the other person really is, you know, you know, how you're feeling is not just a, a statement, it's you know, if you say to someone how you're feeling, because you want to know how they feel. If you don't want to know how they feel, don't ask them, right? So, so I mean, you can say to me, but I have to, because it has to look good, right? So then at least work on yourself that you should be really feeling it, right? That's what Hilchus Derecheretz really is, is that you really care about the other person, you know? Um, and if you look at great, great rabbinic figures, that's, that's the way they were. You know, I'm just reminded as I'm talking to you. I, I my, I had a, my uncle was Rebaran Soloveitchik. It was Soloveitchik here in Boston. His brother married my father's sister, Rebaran Soloveitchik. So I heard from a, a close friend of mine. Actually, he was a chavrusa of mine. We learned in Boston together by Rebaran Soloveitchik. Rebaran Soloveitchik in summers used to give shirim here in Boston. So we learned together. So he told me that he heard from a rabbi um, who got on a plane in the airport in, um, T- in uh, Newark. He was waiting online to, uh, to uh, uh, put, you know, he had luggage, he was waiting online, and a African-American, I don't know if he's African-American, I'm not sure, I'm not up to date, a black, a black person uh, came over to him who was a, you know, what's the name of the guy who takes your bags and, you know. Um, porter? The porter, right. So the porter comes over to him and he says to him, do you know Rabbi Aaron Soloveitchik? <laughs> so he says, yeah, actually, I'm a YU rabbi. But he says back to him, he says, how do you know? 
She says, first thing is, now you go to the front of the line. Because <laughs> you know Rav Aaron Salvatore. That's what he says. Go to the front of the line. So he goes to the front of the line. And, and, the, guy, and the guy asks him, the rabbi asks him. I'm telling you, I heard this story from somebody who heard it from this rabbi. Uh, he asked him, he asked him, like, what's the, this, what's the deal that you go to the front of the line? He says, well, Rav Salvatore, rabbi, rabbi Aaron Salvatore passed away this year. And for one year, I decided every religious person, right, orthodox person, who knows who Rav Aaron Soloveitchik is, goes to the front of the line. Mm -hmm. That's my way of thanking him. Because he used to come in and ask me, how am I feeling? Because Rav Soloveitchik traveled to Chicago every week when his, when his older brother couldn't say sure me, he was too sick. So Rav Soloveitchik came from Chicago every week. He was already also in a wheelchair already, but he came to say Shurim. And he would take, he would always go through Newark Airport, and he would always have this porter, you know, do his thing. So they got to be friendly. So he used to ask the porter, how's he doing? What, you know, how's it going at home? And the porter used to say pretty good, but one time the porter said, I, I, I was telling him the truth. I was having, I was having, I, we call it Sholem Vayas problems, but mm -hmm. he probably called it something else, right? Mm -hmm. Husband and wife problems, right? So I decided to tell the rabbi, see what he says. So he sat with me for an hour. And he told me what I'm doing wrong. And I changed. And my marriage improved tremendously. So this is, you know, there's a big difference when you say hello to a person, which of course you have to, right? You have to say hello to a person. Or when you really meet it. And, you know, Rev Soloveitchik wanted to really, he worked on wanting to, you know, feel what that person is feeling, you know, like, you know, if you're having trouble at home, I may be able to help you, you know. He had a lot of experience as a rabbi, you know, talking to different couples and stuff. So, you know, and normally, you know, oh, he's, he's, a, he's not a Jewish guy, you know, what's in my business? That, but if you care about a person, care about every human being, you know, the altar of Slobodka, right, the, a, a, a Slobodka was on the other side of a bridge. There was a bridge in Kovna going to Slobodka. The, Kovna was the capital of Lithuania, and there was a bridge going to this small town called Slavatka. It wasn't it, the yeshiva was called Slavatka? Was the town right? Knesset Yisrael was the name of the yeshiva, right? but it was called Slavatka because like the mir was called mir, and Tells was called Tells, and Kelm was called Kelm because then it was in the city. So uh, the the altar Slavatka was once going over the bridge. It's a walkable bridge. You're able to walk over the bridge. It was like a 15, 20 minute walk, right? Um, and uh, he was walking over the bridge, and he noticed that someone opened up a kiosk right at the beginning of the bridge. And the altar of Slobodka said, I've been always bothered with this, that they, they, you know, people cross over the bridge, and they don't, can't get a drink, and they can't. And he wasn't talking about Jews. It wasn't kosher. It was a non-Jew that was in the kiosk. He says, and I was always, it always bothered me that, you know, people are going over the bridge, and, and they, they can't get a drink. I'm so happy to see that. That you know, that now there's something for the people to to buy something and refresh themselves. So here, you know, th it's an interesting thing. Well, the altar Slavot get nothing better to do than think about. There has to be a kiosk at the end of the bridge. I mean, it's like a little bit strange, but they didn't view it that way. They viewed it as caring about people, caring about the world, caring, you know, and that's that's really the idea of Derek Heretz. That's uh, that's the real idea. So I'm glad you brought out the issue, because there is another side to it. There's the superficial side. We'll call that etiquette today. And, and the ethic is that 
That's really supposed to really care about other people. That's that's the truth. And you know, it doesn't matter if the person is a Jew or not a Jew. Every person's in need. You have to care about them. And you see that these great Gedoli Torah really, really, um, really felt it. I, I saw with my grandfather many, many times that that uh, Rabbi Yaakov always um, had a sensitivity even to non-Jews. You know. Um, you know, to get to say a nice word to them. I mean, there's famous stories about Rabbi Yaakov saying good morning to the nuns in Mumsy, right? Those are famous stories. But I, I saw him do that. I mean, we used to take a walk, and I saw him do it. So, you know, t- I'm not certain that the typical rabbi, Orthodox rabbi today, would do that, right? But Rabbi Yaakov did it, you know. So obviously, there's, there's room for that. Um, to be a mensch, you know, you're passing by, you know. They represent something. You know, to us, sometimes they represent, you know, uh, you know, uh, the antithesis of what is correct, right? But Rabbi Yaakov didn't care. You see, he held that you have to say good morning to that person, um, and he uh, he used to follow a, a, a funeral that would of a non-Jew. In other words, if you saw a hearse of a non-Jew, you would turn around and follow it for a few feet because he said the person is telling old Kim you have to. You have to follow that also. So you see that they had that sensitivity towards towards other people, you know, whether they were Jews or they were non-Jews. They, uh, I'll never forget, um, uh, uh, Rabbi Yaakov had a, a time clock on his refrigerator. He noticed when he bought a refrigerator once, our refrigerators don't work like this anymore. They may still have, but, ours are, but then when he opens up the door, the motor comes out immediately. By us, it doesn't happen. If it's open for a long time, the motor will come on. But you're not causing the motor to come on by opening it. So he put a time clock on his fridge, then eventually got a different fridge. But at that time, he had a time clock on his fridge that when the fridge goes on, you can open it. When the the fridge is on, you can open it because it's not doing anything. But if it's off, then you open it, it goes on. So he put a... On Shabbos. On Shabbos, yeah. (laughs) So... uh, he wasn't machmer on Sunday and Monday. <laughs> <laughs> right? but, <laughs> but 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 um, I should have said it. You're right. But um, but one Shabbos. So what would happen is the bulb would light up when the when the when the machine went on. So there was a bulb and it would light up. So he knew he could open the. So one Shabbos he forgot to set it up, and his wife had all the food in there. So a little bit of an issue of shalom bias there, right? So she couldn't get the food out because she was waiting for the light to come on. It didn't come on. So there was a student that came up, that came from shul with him, and he saw that there's a problem. So he went there. In the, I know it's hard to believe, but in, in the 1970s, Muncie had mostly non-Jews living there. <laughs> so it was a non-Jew across the street. An older man, an older man, probably a person like, at that time was probably 70. So, so I was at I was that time maybe 18, and he was 70. He was an older person. Rabbi Yaakov was probably a little bit older. Rabbi Yaakov was probably 10 years older than him. So he comes into the house and he looks at the fridge and he, he does something, you know, he presses the button and it goes on. I saw, he did that. Rabbi Yaakov didn't tell me. Obviously the student said that he can't take things out of the fridge because the bulb was not on and he, you know, going by the good that way. They know how to do things. You know? <laughs> they know how to mow the lawn. They don't have to hire, you know. They know how to... So, so he saw right away and he put it on. So Rabbi Yaakov turned to him and said, do you remember Roosevelt? 
President Roosevelt, because he knew that for for us, Roosevelt wasn't such a great person because he 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 uh, he he turned a blind eye to the Holocaust, right? But but um, I mean, it, it was an American idea. It wasn't like that he was like this anti-Semite, but it was an American idea. But um, but uh, so for him, my grandfather knew that Roosevelt was like you know the father of presidents, you know, president of presidents, right? So he said, "Do you remember Roosevelt?" He says, "Sure." He says. The good neighbor policy. Now, I don't even know if you know what that is, right? But there was a, the time of Roosevelt, they made what's called the new good neighbor policy with South America. That, that, that America will protect South America because they're neighbors of ours, right? So, so, so Rabbi Yaakov was looking at something that he could say to him as a thank you. So he said to him, do you remember Roosevelt? The good neighbor policy. And the guy remembered it. He started to laugh. He said, you're, you're good, you know? So you see that, you know, they were thinking like, you know, what, you know, how do, how do I show my tope to what the person just did, right? And you see that that's what, you know, he thought about it. He came up with this idea. I, I had to look up what the good name policy was after that. I went to the library to look up because I didn't know what it was. But, uh, but Rabbi Yaakov knew what it was, right? Anyway, but that's, that's the idea is that... Um, that we uh, that we have to be very sensitive to that, and that's really what you know. A person that really has the derecheretz, you know, and I would say, I knew many many great rabbis that have this, and they made the biggest kiddush Hashem, even though they were very they weren't so connected to non Jews or secular Jews, but when they had to inter- interact with them, they did it in a way that that was very caring about the person. They were very very caring about the person, so. I think that comes from the concept of Derek Heretz what came before the Torah and that Torah is built on that. It's not a contradiction to that. But, but I think you're right that in the, in the religious world there are certain people or groups of people that don't, don't feel that way because they're misled by certain things, like you said, certain ideologies. But it's, it seems from the sources that it... That's why it's always good to have the sources. It seems from the sources that it's not really true. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.